Zeitgeist Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to state of Turkey. Welcome to Zeitgeist Turkey. This is Cansu Çamlıbel and... This is Can Selçuki. After a little bit of a downtown, we are back. Uh, your smart guide to always beautiful yet often grumpy Turkey is here again. Sit back, relax and enjoy the ride, which will probably be a little bit bumpy. Can, my partner in pain, is here with me uh, as always. Uh, and apparently he's the initiator of this comeback. A few weeks ago, over some drinks at the rooftop, while watching the great sunset over the Bosphorus. He said, why don't we reboot? And he offered to host Zeitgeist Turkey at turkeyraporu.com, Turkey Report. And of course, I just love the idea. And here we are. Can, I think we should say, we should tell our audience why we believe that we need to do this again. We need to come back to uh, doing our podcast at this point in time. For me, John, so there are two reasons, I think. First, obviously, I mean, our uh, small yet very loyal audience did make a very clear request for us to come back. That's number one. But the second reason, which I find equally important, is that, you know, Turkey is truly going through historic times. And I think it's a part of our responsibility as well to take stock of what's happening and try to explain to everyone interested Uh, what's happening in Turkey uh, at the moment. And I think this will also be a good reference uh, for the future uh, as well, when we want to look back at this strangest of times and try to make sense of it. Well, for our listeners in Turkey, it might not be the best of times to pay attention since they are probably vacationing or spending quality time with their family, their families, um, because it's the Bayram um, holiday in Turkey, the Eid holiday. But uh, life keeps happening. Uh, doctors are being killed in Turkey. Syrians are being discriminated. Our purchasing power, the, the, the purchasing power of Turks keeps getting eroded. And our president uh, keeps playing the wise and sane regional leader that the world peace needs. Uh, but at the same time, he is cutting access to the voice of America and Deutsche Welle Turkish services inside the country, for instance. So business as usual in Turkey, since we stopped doing Zeitgeist Turkey, but in 18 months of not doing it, things also have changed quite dramatically. Um, we are... John, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Sure. I, I feel like we are living in a very different country in comparison to December 2020, when we stopped uh, doing uh, new episodes of Zeitgeist Turkey. Would you agree with that? I do. I do. Uh, it was just, um, uh, I mean, our, audience, our loyal audience would remember that we started recording the, uh, the Zeitgeist Turkeys uh, just in the middle of the pandemic, like the, the, the breakout uh, globally, uh, March uh, 2020. And then we kept doing it for like uh, eight months. 
And it was more about the, the pandemic and how Turkey and Turkish government and Turkish people were tackling with the pandemic. And it was more about the health concerns that we have for ourselves, for our you know, loved ones. And at the same time, yes, there was a recession in Turkish economy, but it wasn't this bad. We were not saying that we are in a deep economic crisis at that time, if I'm not mistaken if i'm not using the wrong terminology here because you're the economist in the room johnson you're absolutely right i mean uh, what we were experiencing back then you know some partly due to policy choices but also due to the the pressure of the pandemic is nothing is is uncomparable to what we are going through right now which is almost entirely uh policy induced and much more dire i would have to say i mean we'll go into details but I think the two era, two periods of time in terms of economy is is uncomparable. And and of course, the the, the most important uh, difference from uh, between now and then is that we are uh, we are now uh, entering the election um, era, pre-election era in Turkey. I mean, you might say that we still have um, almost you know, 11, 12 months if the election elections are going to be held on, 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 the, the, on the time that was um, uh, set out before, uh, which is uh, May or June or uh, 2023 next year. But still, you know, everything that happens in the political uh, the, the, the landscape uh, tells us uh, that uh, we are entering the election cycle. And that is important together with what has happened to the economy, because it is evident that uh, the economy, the unemployment, the inflation rate and um, uh, everything related, everything that goes around the economy, the topic of economy is going to be the determinant of uh, Turkey's next elections, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, after this Bayram holiday, uh, come uh, 18th of uh, July, Monday, I think that will be the start of the uh, election uh, cycle. I think this is the last holiday Why is uh, that? that we have. Why uh, well, is the 18th of July, you think? Well, I think um, because, because the stakes are so high that it can, no longer, it can no longer be postponed. It would have started earlier, but the holidays, especially Bayram holidays, sort of uh, put a break on everybody but i think once this is out of the way from from you know how ha- second half of july until the elections there are no breaks there are absolutely no breaks and we will you know we will go into a very uh heated uh election uh, cycle which i find absolutely uh too long and actually it kind of worries me as well uh because you know if things are so heated now I, I can't imagine how are they going to be, you know, six months from now, especially because we know for a fact that, you know, economy is not uh, going to do any better uh, six months from now. That's why I think by the end of the Bayram holiday, I think we are officially in the election calendar. There is rumor that uh, President Erdogan is actually going to um, announce uh, the, the election date. Uh, on July 15, in a couple of days, because that is um, 
the raison d'etre of this alliance, uh, MHP-AKP. Uh, I'm talking about the anniversary of the coup attempt, and this is going to be the sixth anniversary, right? Because the, the coup attempt was in 2016. So there is wide belief, and then this, is the, the, this is the corridor gossip from Ankara, that he might actually use that date, um, the anniversary, to announce uh, the election day uh, date next year. Do you think that's Look. possible? It's possible, but I find it irrelevant. And I'll tell you why. Because, you know, as a pollster, I don't think there can be early elections. As an economist, I'm thinking there has to be early elections. But I'll tell you why, you know, if if President Erdogan announces that the elections will be held uh, in May or June 2023, that's irrelevant because we know from the past that, you know, uh, every time Uh, politicians swear that, you know, there aren't going to be early elections, then we faced snap elections. The most recent one is, if you remember, June 2018 elections. I mean, before that, the idea was that with the new constitution, we would wait until 2019 and transition laws for the presidential system would be enacted and then we would have uh, general elections on the uh, announced day, but then one day, uh, scheduled date, but then one day, Mr. Bacheli went out and said that, you know, we have to have elections. So him announcing that elections will be held in 2023 at the scheduled time has no relevance because then they can change. What would be very interesting, John, so if he were to announce early elections, which, for example, November to, at, in November 2022, now that would be news, but, you know, I... I I deem it very unlikely uh, to happen that he announces early elections. Well, that's so. Of, in short, no. Right. Um, well, in relation with the elections uh, in Turkey in the last decade, uh, the wild card has always been Mr. Bacheli, the leader of MHP and Erdogan's alliance partner right now, and he was always the one. Uh, if not calling the election himself, um, leading um, to, I mean, taking the discussion to a point where the President Erdogan uh, felt obliged to call for elections. Um, are you expecting any unexpected or interesting move from Bahçeli, uh, if not from uh, President Erdogan? Because you said you're not expecting an early election move from Erdogan, but what about Bahçeli? Well, indeed, he's a wild card. I think that's the best way to put it, especially when it comes to business regarding elections. Now, yes and no. First of all, if Mr. Bahçeli decides to go for early elections, and why would he do that, you know, in spite of Mr. Erdogan, then that would mean a breakup in their alliance. And I see a breakup in, the, in their alliance not possible because they are so codependent on each other at so many levels that I think the People's Alliance, the governing People's Alliance cannot be broken. That would be the end of uh, MHP on so many levels. So I don't think uh, this time around, Mr. Bacheli would find himself in a position uh, where he calls for early elections without an agreement with uh, Mr. Erdogan. So, and because you know, I speculate that Mr. Erdogan doesn't want early elections, Therefore, you know, your, my answer to your question is no. I don't expect Mr. Bacheli to, to play his wildcard uh, role this time around uh, to call early elections. I don't think it can be done without falling at odds 
uh, with Erdogan, which would, as I said, mean, you know, breaking up the, the alliance? Well, John, I think uh, what you refer to as uh, this codependence uh, deserves a little, a little bit of more elaboration. What you're actually trying to say is that um, there is no possibility for President Erdogan uh, to be elected without the support of MHB. I'm talking about numbers, and you can give us the, uh, the recent numbers from your polls uh, to back this. And also for Mr. Bahçeli's MHB, which happened to be um, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the, the only collector of the national votes in Turkey uh, is not alone anymore. And apparently they are not doing great against um, uh, Meral Akşener's uh, EU party, good party, which is actually a breakaway party uh, from uh, Erdogan's MHP. Uh, so there is no chance uh, for Mr. Bahçeli uh, to be um, a key interlocutor in Turkish politics if uh, it is not for this alliance, because they won't be ruling the country with a small um, with a small majority of the votes, right? That's exactly true. But let me add another layer to that. I think the codependency has tangible reasons and intangible reasons. The tangible reasons, as you put out, as you you know very well described, are the uh, support numbers. You know, in our latest uh, July Turkey Raporu poll. Uh, the sum of AK Party and MHP is a little less than 40% of the popular vote. So that's a long way from uh, 50%, which is needed to uh, get elected president. So, so that's number one. They depend on each other in terms of, uh, from a you know, uh, ballot box calculus perspective. But there's also the intangible part of that as well, uh, John. So, and the reason I say this is intangible is because we can't really put a number on it of course, I refer to the fact that in during the alliance of the past four or five years, MHP has really spread among the bureaucracy, both, you know, the security apparatus, but also uh, the judiciary. And, you know, both MHP wouldn't want to uh, lose that. But also, uh, I would speculate that President Erdogan wouldn't want to be trying to reach victory, having that kind of bureaucracy against him. So, and that's, I think, the intangible codependency of the two, two partners. So that's why in the beginning I said they are so intertwined now that it's almost impossible to uh, break them apart uh, without killing uh, both of them. Since we are now uh, discussing um, uh, about the nationalism and, you know, how the nationalist world and how MHP and the E-Party is kind of like um, uh, fixing their policies around this mood in uh, this sentiment in Turkish society, but also we have a new sort of interesting uh, phenomenon called Zafer Party, right? Victory Party. And we can't really uh, describe it in... Um, in a typical, in a classical, conventional way of nationalism. But maybe we can kind of like resemble this movement, this psychology around uh, Zafar Party. Uh, we can kind of like compare it to the alt-right uh, in the United States, no? Absolutely. I think, you know, Turkey has catched on to the uh, global trend uh, when it comes to that. Uh, now we have our own, uh, you know, genuine uh, alt-right party. I think Zafer Partisi, which by the way means victory, Zafer, uh, is very well fits 
the description of uh, alt-right uh, with, you know, anti-immigration uh, policies, uh, a very uh, rogue uh, language, uh, very populist uh, stance on pretty much everything that's uh, happening in, in Turkey. And I'm not saying all these in a derogatory way, although it may sound that way, but these people, Zafer Partisi, which is, by the way, founded by uh, Ümit Özdağ, which was a breakaway from Meral Akşener's E Party, has found a very nice uh, place uh, for himself uh, among the rising secular nationalist sentiments in Turkey. I think he captured that very well. And in our polls, this is the second uh, consequent month that they're polling about 2% of the popular vote. Now, I find that very significant for a party that was non-existent, what, four, four or five months ago, Jansu? So they really captured that, you know, national, uh, secular nationalist trend uh, in the, uh, within the population. And one thing to note about their uh, support, Jansu, is that it comes homogeneously from across the land. And I think that's a very important thing to, to underline. And going forward, what to look for uh, in these guys is that uh, if they will, uh, you know, go into talks with other parties to form an alliance of their own, which I'm sure you heard it as well. You know, they, we know that they're talking with uh, former presidential candidate Muharrem Ince, Ince's Memleket Party to sort of form an alliance. If they were to do that, I think uh, we would be talking about a, a rather significant new actor uh, in the Turkish political landscape. And how would that significant possible new actor change um, the arithmetic? Because when you were given uh, numbers from your recent polls, you said that uh, AKP and MHP, and uh, this has been like that in the in the few months that uh, are a little bit uh, below 40%, which means that anti-Erdogan, anti-AKP block has reached, this doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to act together, but in terms of the number, we are talking about a 60%. Uh, so you yeah, we're talking that, about a 60-40 balance, exactly. Yes. So do you think there is like um, um, a, a sustainable balance there? I mean, when, when I say sustainable, do you think this kind of... Uh, balance is going to be sustained for a long time that's 40 to 60 or Erdogan and you know MHP together uh, what can really change this balance first let me answer your question with regards to how you know what would the impact right. of this yeah. new alliance if it is formed would be now I think their real uh, impact would be on presidential elections because what the uh, opposition is trying to do right now is to have a single Uh, opposition uh, candidates and have HDP, you know, not nominate anyone and, you know, win the presidential election in the first round. Now, let's imagine that, you know, HDP is convinced and they don't nominate anybody and the table of six opposition nominates one person and then against that one person is President Erdogan. Now, in that scenario, the opposition could end this in the first round. But if a new alliance is to be formed by this alt-right uh, parties, Then, and if they nominate someone for the uh, presidential race, then that person could get five, six, even seven percent of the popular vote in the first round, which would mean that the presidential election would be qualified to the 
second round. Now, that's a big game changer because that completely throws off the strategy of the opposition, the table of six. So I think this is their biggest uh, impact. The second impact, meaning, you know, what would their impact be on uh, parliamentary elections? That's a more difficult question to answer, John. So, I mean, we need to see them come together and see how the public reacts to that uh, in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of support, because it's much easier for the electorate to vote for a presidential candidate that uh, does not come from their own party than to vote for another party. So that's different dynamics uh, in play there. But, you know, uh, let me repeat, they would definitely have an impact on the first round of the presidential elections. Now, going back to your balance question, the 60 yeah, Before going back to the uh, 40 to 60 balance, um, uh, one final note on, you know, what would happen in the second round? Because, okay, maybe they might apparently sort of um, crush uh, the, 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 the alliance of the six in the first round. But what about in the second round? Is that, could this lead to any, um, any change in, the, in a possible um, uh, outcome in favor of uh, President Erdogan? That's a bit tough to say because once you get five, six percent in the first round, then you have a seat at the table, right? Mm-hmm. And that very much depends on where that 5-6% comes. I mean, for now, there seems to be two main uh, contributors to Zafar Party's uh, support popular vote. One, first is first-time voters, the youth, the young. Mm-hmm. The second is from across uh, all parties. So it is reasonable to expect that if they were to, the alt-right were to per, uh, form a new alliance and if they were to get, you know, five, six percent in the first round of presidential elections, I think it's reasonable to expect that they could probably direct three or four points of that six in any direction they want. And that gives them a seat at the table. Now, given their position Obviously, it's very difficult. Uh, in, it would be very inconsistent for them to direct that in the direction of President Erdogan, that support. But then again, they wouldn't obviously uh, go without a bargaining, which would impact some of the policies of the uh, opposition candidate and the impact of that compromise. What would that be on uh, the original uh, electorate of the opposition candidate? It's very difficult to say. But, you know, I did explain it very complicatedly, but let me just maybe simple it with a one sentence. True, it is very likely that that even if it were to qualify to the second round, it is very unlikely that that five, six percent would work in the advantage of uh, President Erdogan. But of course, we need to also see here, John, so who would get the majority in the parliament uh, right. during the uh, during the uh, first round of the presidential elections. But it seems from our results as of July 2022 that uh, both the presidential elections and the parliamentary elections are going to be uh, won or lost, let's say more accurately, by the uh, ruling People's Alliance. John, um, now coming back to 40 to 60 balance, well, um, with due respect, I am a little bit biased um, to hmm. 
the, the, the pollings because of what happened in Brexit, because of like the election of um, Donald Trump in 2016. And so, I mean, basing all our analysis and political analysis on the outcomes of the polling might be misleading according to me. But still, uh, judging from today that according to your view, if I'm not mistaken, that this 40 to 60 balance would not really change. Uh, and then that means that President Erdogan does not really have a great chance of winning next year. Am I making right sense of the information out there? No, you're absolutely right, Chansu. And let me, you know, agree with you on this uh, other point where you doubt the surveys, although which I you know, my uh, main source of bread. But uh, look, you can't rely these conversations solely based on quantitative polls. You know, you need a variety of other sources of uh, information and data to sort of uh, formulate a general uh, view. And when I'm talking about the scenario that is like the scenario, a double Erdogan loss scenario, I'm not solely basing them on what our polls tell us, but also I'm telling them these based on what our, you know, quantitative, uh, qualitative uh, research shows as well, whereby we do a lot of deep dives and uh, focus groups and also, you know, add to this uh, the economic uh, downturn and the forecasts and how, you know, economy impacted uh, the electric choices in the past. So a combination of all of these uh, sources of data uh, and observations actually tell me uh, that we are looking at a likely double Erdogan loss uh, scenario as of today. Obviously, you know, three, four months uh, down the line, we'll need to reevaluate this. Well, Jan, I was, of course, I respect your work and uh, your analysis because I know uh, for a fact that you don't base your analysis on just numbers, but I was just being the devil's advocate, you know, just... And you're, no, you're absolutely right, by and, the way. And I, mean, I also want you to repeat, uh, uh, repeat this on and on because uh, there might be some people out there who, who would mis- be mistaken that uh, we are talking when we are talking about numbers we are basically talking about numbers but we are not um so many so many things we need to cover john economy you know how what and when and why and who and you know all these questions since we left off like 18 months ago and also i really want to you know dive deep into this anti-immigration mood in Turkey and why uh, Zafar Partisi is becoming an actor. And, you know, is there any chance that this might be changed by policy soon? And I'm also worried with the fact that, you know, this language, this rhetoric of Zafar Partisi is poisoning uh, the opposition alliance and they feel obliged that they should respond in similar ways. And this is really worrying for me. given the fact that they might be in in government um, next year and judging by today's numbers. So we these are all areas that we need to uh, kind of like dive into in detail. And also there's the foreign policy file. And, you know, now we were talking about F-35s at the time mm. uh, 
18 months ago. Now we are downgraded to talking about F-16s, which are already in Turkey's arsenal, but uh, Turkish military is in dire need of those F-16s. And it, it has become a major bargaining tool for President Erdogan. These are all things that we need to discuss in the next episodes. But this has been um, quite uh, heavy for starters. Absolutely. And, yeah. So it's a bit, it's a bit too much. It's too much information to digest. Uh, But Jansu, you know, yeah, let's let's face it. I think a podcast uh, by the two of us, given the current situation of uh, Turkey, I don't think we'll have a light one. Uh, at least until uh, you know June 2023. I know, I know, but I'm just trying to sugarcoat uh, so that uh, <laughs> the, the, the listeners will come back uh, next week. Thank you, John. And this has been my pleasure, great as usual. And and I am so happy to be back. And uh, yeah, final notes for today. Well, I wish everyone a very happy uh, Bayram holiday, and you know, uh, hope to see you all and come back uh, energized. Ready for the final stretch. By the way, John, so if our listeners would like to support us, but at the same time be informed of public opinion poll results, at the bottom of this, at the notes of this uh, podcast, you can see a link uh, to our report subscription at turkeyreporter.com, whereby on a monthly basis we report to you on the findings of our Turkey White Poll. So click on the link, see our offer and if you see if you like what you see please subscribe and support us you were on zeitgeist turkey at turkeyaroporu.com until next time stay safe goodbye <laughs>